the Church Society podcast. I'm Ros Clark. I'm the Associate Director of Church Society. And this week I'm joined by Eleanor Brindle and Mark Wallace. Eleanor, just tell us uh, who you are and where you are and what you do. Hi, um, I'm Eleanor. I am a youth minister in Ipswich, Suffolk, um, at a kind of large suburban church of three congregations. Great. And Mark? I'm priest in charge of uh, two parishes in Colchester, just slightly down the A12 from Ipswich, where Eleanor is, uh, St Peter's and St Bottles in the Colchester Town Centre. I also do a little bit of moonlighting on the side, working as a regional director for Church Society, which I think is why you've hauled me in to do this, if I'm right. Mostly that is that is right. And um, uh, you say regional director. I mean, it's it's quite a big region, isn't it? Yes. So technically, regional director for the South. Uh, which is pretty much anything but uh, south of uh, Seven and the Wash line, um, which on half a day a week has been a little bit of a challenge over the last uh, year or so. But still, there's, there's plenty to do, which is a good thing, even if we could probably do with another half dozen regional directors to make sure that we can do it properly. Absolutely. If people aren't quite sure whether they're in your region or George's region, uh, do you just get in touch with the Church Society office and we'll point you in the right direction. Um, and we'll see uh, what we can do to help. Great, well, uh, coming up uh, later in this podcast, we're going to be talking about bishops, uh, which the appointment of new bishops seems to be going on apace, uh, despite everything else. Uh, And I have some announcements to make and various other things. But we're going to begin uh, by talking about youth work. Uh, That's partly why we've asked Eleanor to join us uh, for this discussion. Uh, But also, Mark, you're in a household mostly of teenagers, is that right? Uh, yeah, that's right. There is a reason I'm wearing noise-cancelling headphones this morning. Good. Um, uh, you have uh, four teenagers, is that right? Are they all teenagers? Uh, almost. Uh, so uh, we've got a 17-year-old, a 14-year-old and two 12-year-olds who are all battling away okay. with the lockdown at the moment. How, how are they finding it? I just... I, I'm, I mean, you know, we're all finding it kind of weird and strange and difficult. What's, what's life like for a teenager? I mean, is it fun? Are they enjoying it? Are they finding it hard? What's keeping them going? I think they'd be appalled that uh, you're asking their father that question. But I think in, in general <laughs> terms, uh, I think they're finding it much like the rest of us. Uh, it, it is pretty hard. It's pretty frustrating. I think they really miss being able to get out and about and see people. Um, without wanting to generalise too much, I think they find the whole transition to online life uh, slightly easier than many other generations. Uh, but I think they also are feeling very acutely the lack of um, uh, of being physically able to, to engage with people face to face. I think also, um, I, I don't think I'll be the only parent uh, saying this, I, I feel desperately sorry for them trying to engage academically online at the moment. Uh, and whether that's issues of uh, bandwidth or the exhaustion of multiple Microsoft Teams meetings or simply the unfairness of having to sit around uh, with their mother around the front room table for much of the week uh, trying to get done in a week what would probably take a day and a half if they were in school. It It, it is rough. I, I do have a lot of sympathy with them, even if perhaps I'm not as patient with them as I ought to be. Yeah, absolutely. And just the whole um, exam thing. I mean, you, you have some who are sort of at that end of the the thing and you know some have got exams that that have been cancelled this year and others are are thinking well this time next year I'm supposed to be doing exams but I'll have missed a really good chunk of teaching time for GCSEs and A-levels and the sort of uncertainty 
around that I think must be very difficult at that sort of age what have you been doing as a church uh, for teenagers and young people Mark have you got many others or is it just your boys or I know we have um, a few are you in charge of that <laughs> we have a few others um, Lizzie and I my wife and I uh, have been doing some bits and bobs we We've got a Sunday evening uh, thing called Rock Solid. Uh, it used to meet, uh, I think, once a fortnight back before the days of lockdown. Uh, we've taken that online and it's now weekly. Um, although having said that, we didn't meet last night because of the Zoom meltdown uh, globally. Um, and yes, we, we find Zoom is helpful because people can see each other's faces. They can talk to each other. That, that's all a big, big upside. Uh, we try and combine the kind of activity that almost works online uh, with a bit of Bible teaching. We're working our way through the book of James uh, and then just some general catching up and all around silliness, uh, which has been great. Uh, we've got a thing called Rock Solid Nano for those who are slightly younger, kind of 10 to 13, I think it is, during the week. Um, similar sorts of ideas. It, it, there's no way we're pretending this is ideal or that we will, <laughs> that this will be the sum total of our youth work for the next five years. Uh, but it's the best we can do in the circumstances. Yeah, it's hard, isn't it? I mean, so often, I mean, it's hard for all of us, but, you know, you meet for a, a sort of adult midweek Bible study and most of what you're doing is chatting over a cup of tea and then doing a Bible study. But if you're doing a youth group, presumably, Eleanor, you're always organising all sorts of exciting activities and, and weird and crazy things that, that are much more difficult to do online. Is that right? Yeah, I mean, games have never been my particular spiritual gift. Uh, <laughs> I'll be very open about that. My kids are very aware of this. Um, so uh, I tend to be at the lower end of creativity with that spectrum. But there's definitely something about uh, actually just having that kind of fellowship time where they can uh, get rid of excess energy and just enjoy each other's companies loads of mine go to all different schools um they just need some a good amount of fellowship time that isn't quite satisfied by tea and toast um the toast does wonderful things uh, but it isn't quite the same as, as that good game time and so um just working out how that is going to work over over digital um digital meetings is quite different i have a much much smaller spectrum of games that that work well um, and I'm needing to get, give a little bit more time for that as as for some this was also just their only social time that they are getting with that, that particular group of friends at the moment so it's it's particularly hard for that just now. I mean I would love if people who are watching this or listening to this have found good activities that work for that sort of fun hanging out social time online do let us know if you're watching on youtube you can leave it in the comments if you're listening on to the podcast send me an email or a facebook comment or something because i'd love to be collecting a list of you know good fun online activities that that teenagers are enjoying but um eleanor so there are challenges and it's certainly hard um but you've been finding there's some opportunities that have come up as well tell us about that yes um so i have a, a wonderful particularly i mean all of my kids are wonderful going to say that now um but i have a, a very wonderful group of, of 14 to 18 year olds who are um uh, have been immersed in their gcse's for the past 
three years really um, and it has just been the, the thing that consumes their hearts and heads and time um, and so one-to-one ministry is something I've been trying to build and it's been incredibly slow however exams are cancelled and the hearts minds souls attention of my young people is now entirely freed up um, and suddenly they are thinking well yes I, I really do want to have virtual coffee with you and I want to do this and I want to do that so um, as it stands I am currently going through the book of Matthew, Romans, Revelation and I am reading three different Christian books uh, with young people at the moment so I am absolutely exhausted um, and going slightly mad by how much time I am spending uh, staring at the screen and with, with, with earphones like stretching my ears um, but you know what complaints can I have? It's an amazing uh, blessing that, that this has, has sort of been able uh, to happen and and just uh, really enjoying the fact that my young people are are really willing at this time to, to be working hard at their spiritual life and their understanding and to, to do prep, to, to read ahead, to uh, like come with a list of questions and um, you know, my kids who I, I read Matthew with read the passage, read the chapter in advance and they literally just come to the call with a big list of questions and we spend half an hour being like, what on earth is going on? And answering all those questions um, or reading a chapter of a book in advance and saying, oh, I really got this, but I really didn't understand this and I don't like that and that was me. And, um, you know, I, I can I can complain that I'm sitting here on my my laptop all day and I'm actually going mad and I'm feeding myself chocolate to stop myself yawning because it's actually quite exhausting but I you know this is a tremendous blessing and I I am not insensible of that that's I mean that is really exciting isn't it just those seeds that have been sown over the years suddenly coming to fruition in a in an unexpected kind of way because I do think it is a myth that we are all sitting around with lots of extra time on our hands but I can certainly see if you're a year 11 or a year 13 student, you suddenly do have a lot of extra time on your hands that you weren't expecting. And and people, you know, are sort of free during the day, presumably, you know, you're not just having to fit around school times or clubs or whatever. Yeah, There's... previously I had, you know, several people contending for the 4.30 slots uh, after oh. school. We'd, I'd meet in a cafe and... Um, and I was sort of alternating people every other week, and now I have people in lunch times. All my four thirty slots are free, um, and and being taken up by them, and and it's it's a lot more flexible and a lot more in, intense than than could normally do. So most of them I only usually do every other week, uh, whereas now I am able to to do everybody weekly, which is is fantastic. And I have a question. You mentioned about it being a bit more intense, and I can certainly see how that would be the case. Um, I wonder are there things that, that we ought to be mindful of around safeguarding when we're working online? It's a different thing, isn't it, than if you're meeting up with a teenager one-to-one physically, but there are still concerns probably. Yes, I think there's, there's you know, there's um, where where are they calling you from, who who is aware of it in the house. I think it, it helps with teenagers is, is the, the, the joy of everyone kind of being at home all the time at least is that actually parents always know what's going on and if you say to the parents well I'm, I'm going to be calling at this time and we're going to call for about an hour and um you know this is roughly what we're doing and and that is is really helpful if if that's yeah that's what's going on it's safeguarding is is so much harder online I think I I worry more with the groups actually um 
you know, we haven't used Zoom simply because I don't want any of them to have control of uh, the record, what we are using right now. Actually, nothing should be recorded, nothing should be shared. Um, and so we, we are using uh, Google Hangouts um, and then always having two adults, if you can, on on those calls is, is really important. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it's... That's it's, really wise. Very it's helpful. hard, yeah. Um, I mean, we wanted to move to Google Hangouts because of the WhatsApp thing. Uh, before lockdown anyway so this has been quite a good catalyst for actually moving everyone onto a platform that is is legal and and safe and um, but also enables them to keep in contact during the week yes and there is a thing i i remember from my time when i was uh online passer about um you know platforms that that they are legally able to be on so most yeah. platforms the legal age is 13 but whatsapp is older than that isn't whatsapp it? is now 16 and so for any 11 to 14 groups that's just totally out um and also it's it's yeah there are there are various limitations in the privacy and, and uh, the ways in which whatsapp is used doesn't always encourage the best interaction and mm. google hangouts is quite a light social um and encourages slightly better, if sometimes very silly, interactions. Yeah, that's very helpful, because not only do we want to be careful in terms of our meetings and our safeguarding of what we're doing with them, yeah. but we don't want to also then encourage them and open them up to be using things that might be dangerous in yeah, other ways. Definitely. Um, and just in terms of resources, so obviously, I mean, it's really exciting to hear about what's going on, uh, Eleanor, with, with your mm. teenagers, and Mark, your group that's continuing on are there other things that you are recommending uh, to your teenagers and young people that they can be engaging with other resources that would be helpful uh, for people to know things that you found that yeah that's really hitting the spot for them or other things you think I wish somebody were producing this this and this so that I could give it to my teenagers um personally I haven't I haven't been using uh, or recommending loads with them because actually what they are appreciating more and more actually just everyone opening their Bible together and being like, oh, do you know what? We're all reading the same Bible. Everything is very strange and different, but we can all open and rotational read together. And they seem to be enjoying that way more than usual. Uh, but for Matthew, I, I did get um, these head, heart, hands. Um, yes, and they are just... And I'm planning to send these out to some of my girls who I'm doing Matthew with as just something to keep them going throughout the week. And it's got activities and really helpful uh, things and just to help them get through that. And I, I am so excited by that resource. I, I bought it and was like, why didn't I buy 10 of these? Um, Great. Get so that's Head, Hard, Hands. Who is the author of that? Uh, Linda Alcock. Linda Alcock. Great. Yeah. Uh, Mark, how about you? Is there anything you've come across that you've found helpful for that sort of age group? Um, no, and I'm going to be really careful at this stage not to sound overly sanctimonious. Um, we've made quite a thing of just saying life is now just pretty much stripped out back to its basics. And having been saying, having been teaching for, for months, for years, the Bible is all you need, we've, we've tried to make a little bit of a thing of saying, hey, you know what, the Bible is still all you need. Um, having said that, I've made a, a note of that material uh, that Ellen has just mentioned, and I, I'm sure we'll move on to that quite soon. Uh, but just to be able to say to folk, actually, you don't need to panic. Uh, you've got a Bible at home. Just open it and read it, and it is sufficient. Great. I and mean, that's really exciting. I think, um, you know, one of my big prayers through this whole thing is that as churches, we don't see our goal as moving back to where we were at in February but actually moving on somewhere better and if part of that better is people actually reading their bibles and engaging with them directly 
that's amazing isn't it yeah. um so yeah definitely so i think great. you know that this could be a catalyst for change in many areas of church life and definitely also in, in youth ministry i'm hoping uh to really be able to push and uh, uh, sort of move more towards one-to-one ministry and and less emphasis on programmatic and and part of that is just the joy of them all being like oh here's my bible and i'm reading this at home and actually um that's much more exciting than many, many resources that I could I could be using right now. Great. Well, and so then one other thing I wanted to ask about, and maybe this is again a, a similar kind of thing. Obviously, uh, you know, in the next couple of months, uh, lots of teenagers would normally be anticipating going on a summer camp or a beach mission or some kind of, uh, you know, maybe going to Keswick with their families or, you know, big events, that sort of stuff is all going to be cancelled this summer and potentially for some time to come, I guess. What is it that teenagers are going to be missing out by not having those events? And are there ways we should be thinking more creatively now and in the future about what they might be getting from that? Yeah, and I think it's worth bearing in mind that many of them missed out on Word Alive at Easter time as well. So the effects of this are already being felt. Um, I'm guessing a little bit here, but I imagine that for uh, those teenagers who are in relatively small youth groups, they are in some ways quite reliant on some of the relationships that they make when they see people time, time, time again, year after year. And and that will be a really big hit. I I know it is for some of our folk here at home, actually, that they are desperately missing that opportunity. And and they were really sad when stuff was inevitably cancelled. I think people will miss the teaching. Um, but that can probably be replicated in other ways. I, I think it's the it's the relationships. It's the modelling of being alongside old, old Christians and that rubbing off on you. It's mm-hmm. that sort of thing that I think they will miss uh, and miss significantly. Um, having said that, I, I'm not sure I'd want to over-egg this too much. Um, I've, I'm sure the devil means this to harm us, but God's probably got a slightly better plan than that. Uh, and I'm sure he will bring good out of all of this. Um, and hopefully it's only going to be a what one year blip. I know most things are planning on being back next year, and while we don't know exactly what that'll look like, it'd be nice to think that that will be the case for the future. Absolutely. Helen, what about your young people and um, what might be going uh, on for them or not going on for them at the moment? Uh, we, we've recently done a camp change, and so I've been working toward this for a long time, thinking about it for a long time, praying for a long time, Um poking my young people with pitchforks for a young t- long time to get them signed onto stuff that I really was so um so kind of excited and, and really hoped would be massively beneficial uh, for their spiritual lives you know we we love camps because they can have a greenhouse effect on our young people um that kind of that christian uh, wider christian community that's bigger than their church shows them a, a vision of the christian life um uh that that can kind of propel them through the year and really uh, help them to ask questions and nurture their faith and grow in a way that perhaps some of them will struggle to do in the week to week depending on the young person their personality and and their stage and and so it is it is devastating that they are missing out on it but the same way uh, as mark says you kind of don't want to overstate camps like camps are are just a, a week in the summer and uh, the teaching in some ways can be replicated and, and the fellowship can't and i think uh, the thing that my young people are, are missing 
at the moment the most is is fellowship is is seeing people like they are bored but but also they just want to see people and I think we forget you know lots of us will work uh, in offices or or even in church offices and we'll, we'll maybe see lots of people but they are used to being surrounded by hundreds of people every day in school and suddenly going down uh, just to being in the members of the household is is a much bigger change than any of the rest of us are going to be going through um and so that's that's what they're really struggling and really finding. And obviously, we don't know uh, what the summer holds, and we don't know what we're going to be allowed to do. Um, you know, I've I've got sort of a few uh, socials on the back burner, and I just don't know if a water fight or a barbecue is going to be on the cards um, at all. I just I just don't know yet. But I think if we are uh, to do something this summer, obviously we want to do some teaching. Um, but also I think it will really be about having some some quality fellowship time and maybe taking the opportunity to do things uh, that we've struggled to do before. So I've always struggled to get my lot singing, but I think if I can get somebody, not me, with a guitar um, we, and, and we can have a, a socially distanced bonfire, I think we might have some wonderful times of, of, of kind of worship and fellowship together, real quality time, uh, different rhythms of prayer. I mean, my young people have been praying fantastically throughout this uh, they've been praying uh, for the church and, and the government and the people in their lives and I want that to continue um, and so actually if, if we have replacement stuff in the, the summer yes we might listen to some stuff that goes online but actually just getting that quality fellowship time where we can pour into each other and say this is what it means to be looking to Christ in this right now and to encourage each other and point each other to him I think that's going to be the focus of any replacement summer activities yeah. if we can do them for us yeah and I think it's interesting again you know we talked about how actually this could be a really great opportunity uh, in terms of focusing back on just the bible but I also wonder if it's a great opportunity in focusing back on the local congregation and you know sometimes those sort of big events are a real lifeline for young people who may be the only young person in their church or very few or feel very cut off and isolated but for many that's that's not quite the case and I I think you know having a, a year where actually the fellowship that you really miss is the week by week people who you, you see who ask after you who might be 20 years older than you but actually the Lord has put you in a family with that may not be a bad thing either good well hopefully uh, some things to think about there um uh I'm I'm really encouraged and excited by by lots of uh what you've both said I think it's really great good well Last week, uh, the appointment of the next uh, Diocesan Bishop of Chester was announced. A couple of weeks ago, uh, Diocese of Chichester announced uh, a couple of new suffragan bishops. Uh, we're still waiting, actually, in my diocese. I don't know why, but uh, my area bishop would be waiting for an announcement for that for ages. But it does seem like, in general, the process is moving on and people are being appointed and uh, removal companies, I think, are now allowed to work. So some of these things will happen. Um, I was really encouraged by the appointment uh, of Mark Tanner uh, as the new Bishop of Chester. Uh, Mark spoke at our Jake conference last summer. He did the Bible reading uh, for us and I thought spoke. Uh, it was just really beautiful and, and really moving, actually. And I will put a link uh, to his talk in the notes for this. So I think that's a great appointment uh, in Chester. I don't know... Um, 
the new bishops, uh, suffragan bishops that were appointed in Chichester, but I hear good things about Ruth, I want to say Bushiega, but I don't really know how you pronounce her surname. But anyway, I hear good things about her as well. So, you know, good people are being appointed. There are still, however, no complementarian evangelical bishops. There, there are great evangelical bishops uh, like Mark Tanner and many others, but there are no complementarians. And for a church of England that says it is committed to mutual flourishing of those who are egalitarian and complementarian, it does seem as though that that may not be being worked out in practice. Do we think it is a problem? Mark, do you think it is a problem that we don't have any complementarian evangelical bishops? Well, first of all, it's probably worth saying the Church of England sees it as a problem. So... Lord Green, uh, back in, I think it's 2014, uh, was writing about underrepresented groups and referring specifically to uh, black and minority ethnic, conservative evangelicals and traditional Catholics. Uh, so I don't think it's just the conservative evangelicals who are saying we think there's a bit of an issue here. The Church of England more widely would acknowledge it as well. But is there a problem? Yes, I think there is. I mean, obviously, uh, many of us benefit from the ministry of uh, Bishop Rod Thomas, Bishop of Maidstone, who is now um, a, an assistant bishop in, in a whole load of dioceses. I can't actually remember how many offhand, but it, but it is a substantial number. And if you are a resolution parish, then you're, you're, you are in a position to benefit from his ministry as well, which is great. But obviously, there are a lot of complementarian parishes that are not resolution parishes. Uh, there are a lot of complementarian clergy and laity that are not resolution parishes and therefore don't have access to that ministry. And there's also something somewhere about the issue of balance, um, which ties into the mutual flourishing question. So yes, I, I think that probably is an issue here. Um, although I'm just going to flag up that I think the Church of England's also got a few other problems up its sleeve at the moment. So this isn't the only one by any stretch. <laughs> No, that's right. And it, it may not be absolutely the most pressing issue this week um, for them. But it's just it's just a thing, you know, that I have been noticing. Yeah. And with uh, new appointments being announced, it's just there, isn't it? Um, do we think is is part of the problem? You know, that we, we I, I, it's one thing to notice the problem. It's another thing. Well, actually, are there solutions to this? Mm. What could we be doing? And, and I think there are things that, that could be happening on a number of different tacks. I don't think it's just a question of, and I certainly don't want to be saying this, I don't think it, it's primarily a question of discrimination, deliberate discrimination. I mean, there may be something like that, but I don't think that's uh, really what I'm saying. Mm. I think there are issues around the way in which... Uh, conservative evangelicals have engaged with the Church of England which have not helped our cause uh, perhaps uh, not always engaging well with getting involved in the hierarchy being involved in synods serving as uh, rural deans those kinds of things um, but I also wonder whether some at least would see that there is an inherent problem how is it that a complementarian diocesan bishop could hope to fulfill that role when obviously there will be ordained women in their diocese and is that just a, a problem that we can't get past well there is a credibility issue here um I, I think it's probably helpful to nuance that in that credibility is slightly different from trust and i don't think although i may be wrong but i don't think people are saying we don't trust you to dot 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 mm -hmm. 
Uh, well, the credibility uh, issue comes up when you have questions at interview. Uh, first, Sue, first of all, uh, let me stress, uh, we, are, we are imagining this. We, we are uh, we're guessing a bit because we're not privy to the inner workings of the appointments. But um, it's not hard to imagine a question, something along the lines of, what evidence could you offer ordained women that you would actively support their ministry? Yeah. And that's a question that's going to have to be uh, answered with evidence rather than just assurances for the future. Um, just earlier today, actually, I had a little bit of a dig through uh, Crockford's looking at um, uh, all those who've been appointed as bishops since the legislation was introduced in 2014. There's a very, very substantial proportion of those who have done uh, some kind of ministerial service in the Church of England that demonstrates that kind of credibility. Uh, so a, a very large proportion have served as archdeacons somewhere for a period of time. Yeah. Others have been involved in training institutions. Others have been involved in significant diocesan appointments that would have required them to work across the range of churchmanships within the Church of England. And there is the evidence that they could perhaps be pointing to at a moment like that. I think that's a very helpful thing, because I think we often think people should be able to somehow go straight from parish to diocese. And it's not that that never happens, mm. but actually it. I don't think it does happen all that often. And as you say, if there's already that question around credibility, some of those in-between steps help to demonstrate that much more um, tangibly. Which which is not to say for a second that uh, any of those potential conservative or complementarian evangelicals Mm. would be unable to do so, but it's a credibility question how can they how can they yeah. demonstrate that at interview how can they give assurances and obviously we're still slightly living uh, in the light of the um uh, the, the issue with uh, bishop north in sheffield and how that unraveled so quickly uh, what assurances could be put in place that there wouldn't be some kind of a, of a repeat of that um, you, you're right there have been a few folk who have gone straight from parish ministry into um uh, into a bishopric role but very very few and without naming names or getting personal or anything like that, you look at who are the conservative evangelicals, who are the complementarian evangelicals, uh, who could potentially serve as bishops in, in the light of all of this. Uh, they are folk who have got a long track record of fruitful parish ministry behind them, but not necessarily very much else. Now, many of us might make the counter-argument that actually they can therefore demonstrate exactly what matters and everything else is perhaps a little bit by the by. But it all ties into that credibility question and understandably those involved in the process would see it differently. I think that I think that's right. I think that's really helpful. I mean, I, I am always concerned when people are appointed to bishops with, with very minimal parish experience. I mean, I think mm. Rowan Williams was a great example of that, wasn't he? Of, of, I think hardly any at all. And I, I'm not sure that's a good model. But I think we are being naive if we assume that that people can uh, and should be uh, appointed in that kind of way without any other experience at all. And then when we were talking about this earlier, uh, you mentioned um, just that this isn't just a one-way issue either, is it? Just explain how, how that works um, as someone in, in your sort of role? Yeah, I mean, Mark, Mark was talking about a credibility issue and I think sometimes uh, that's that's the issue we have of, of no complementarian uh, bishops is is the credibility of a complementarian position in the Church of England is, is fundamentally undermined. And so as a, as a lay person in full-time ministry in the Church of England who is not ordained... Um, that and and working in a, a diocese and in a context that is largely egalit- 
Tarian, um, it's uh, astonishing how much my ministry is subliminally undermined by the things that people say when they're trying to support egalitarianism. Uh, I do think back to a, a National Youth Work Apologetics Conference a few years ago where um, somebody was arguing uh, for, for women's ordination and women preaching and saying, oh, well, you effectively, if you keep women out of the pulpit, you're effectively halving the workforce. And I'm like, thank you for just undermining me in front of my entire youth group who I brought here. Um, but I appreciate, yeah. you know. Um, and so I think actually uh, there is a, a question of, of credibility in, in that actually if we are not recognising that this is a legitimate position uh, that can be held by people in the Church of England um, and we are not being sensitive as an entire national church to the fact that there is a large portion of us who are complementarian uh, conservative evangelicals um, it creates a, a narrative that is often slightly ultra ultra clericalist um, in, in the fact that it starts to create a narrative where actually only ordained ministry is valuable and undermines every member ministry undermines uh, lay ministry um, and I, yeah, I, I've never, I never, I used to, I used to work in an FIEC context and I never found it hard to be mm. a complementarian. Then I sometimes was a very grumpy complementarian <laughs> and I didn't always like things about the culture, but um, I've, I've never, uh, I suppose, faced quite so much disdain um, yeah. secondhand by people who don't intend it. Uh, but but by people who are implicitly and consistently undermining the value of lay ministers and lay ministry and the values of of an active um, lay involvement yeah. in in teaching right. and preserving the doctrine of the church. Yeah, no, I I agree, and I've experienced similar things as well. I think um, you know we do want a commitment to mutual flourishing so yeah. you know i i do want to see evangelical ministry uh flourish uh whether that's somebody who's an egalitarian minister or not whether that's someone who's a, a male or female minister i would love to feel a bit more uh that people were committed to the flourishing of people like you and me uh, yeah. as well Eleanor, and, and indeed mark probably also worth saying that in terms of the um that there's an awareness of the lack of diversity, um, that this probably isn't mm -hmm. the, the biggest issue at the moment. Uh, so the Green Report picked up on not just traditional Catholics and conservative evangelicals, but also on black minority ethnic. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and, and absolutely that should, must be a priority in the Church of England and more widely. And, and it's great to see that uh, as that's slowly starting to take effect. Um, but I think it's probably also fair to say that ethnic diversity is currently seen as being more relevant than a diversity of churchmanship. Um, and we're probably just having to live with some of the fallout from that uh, while affirming wholeheartedly that, um, yeah, it's, it, enabling black yeah. minority ethnic no, folks to get more into ministry is, is, a, is a vital thing for the future. Absolutely. And, and certainly as evangelicals and probably particularly conservative evangelicals, I think we are not good at that mm. and don't have a great track record. And I think mm. could be uh, doing much more to play our part in that kind of mm. diversity as well. And maybe that would be a way of opening up uh, more diverse theological traditions as well. If we had more uh, black and minority ethnic people uh, from our sort of theological perspective. 
as well. Good. Well, just in the last couple of minutes, I'm going to ask both of you. I have no recommendations this week. I'm just going to put that out there. You've had all my recommendations the last few weeks. I, I you know, I just got Netflix in the last week. So, you know, I, I can give you my top three Netflix reality shows, if you like. But, uh, Mark, I believe you have something more edifying to share. Um, like many in church leadership, uh, I've spent the last couple of months in some sort of semi-panic mode trying to cope with uh, the, the crisis uh, but bit by bit are starting to think how we plan as leaders for the immediate future. Um, I've been really helped by a few things recently. Uh, Chris Green who was uh, vice principal at Oak Hill when I was training there and taught church leadership uh, has got a really helpful blog, uh, Ministry Nuts and Bolts, I think it's called, or, or something like that. Uh, he's re- we'll put a link to it. Brilliant. Um, he's got a, a particular post, uh, What Are We Learning There?, which is really worth, I think, spending a little bit of time on, uh, and I found that very helpful. Um, I was involved uh, last week in a, well, I'd say involved, as in benefiting from hugely, um, some leadership material with James Lawrence from CPS. Uh, there's a lot of stuff, that's a lot of thinking that they've done on what it means to be leading in lockdown. Uh, that was very useful as well. And I believe some of the material is available online. And also, I, I know, like many others, I've been a bit of a fan of uh, Michael Hyatt in the States with his Lead to Win leadership material. And I think he's particularly good on leading in a time of fluidity and uncertainty and making the most of opportunities rather than just being weighed down by the burdens of it all. Uh, and uh, a substantial amount of his material is relatable to church leadership at, at, at a time like this. Um, so, yes, uh, all three of them far wiser than me listen to them not me that'd be most helpful great they sound great Eleanor how about you what have you been encouraged by and enjoying lately yeah I mean I think one of the 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 joys of lockdown uh, for for some of us at least is that it's just uh, been forcing us to slow down I love the ways in which it's been getting my young people uh, to slow down mm-hmm. and and it's it's hard isn't it we we look at uh the, the beautiful things of the world that kind of speak to us spiritually and we turn them into Instagram moments um, which are just incredibly shallow and actually do not um, ground us uh, in kind of the natural rhythms of, of the world. Um, and so I've just kind of been looking at a couple of things that that, that have been helping uh, me a bit. So one of the things was, was recommended on this podcast a couple of years ago, which is The Four Books of Noah's Ark by Thomas Decker. This is actually a lockdown publication. Uh, this is a playwright in the time of Shakespeare, who went, who in the two summers that the theatre was shut down because of the plague, uh, decided to write a book of prayers because actually, as Russell Brand has noted, everyone suddenly wants to pray, um, and just the the thoughts about living in the light of death, um, and the kind of slow, steady, pond- ponderous, and yet thoroughly beautiful and heartfelt prayers in there have just. Um, really been kind of nurturing me and speaking to a deep place of my soul that I don't always access uh, very well. Um, And for those of us who've been spending more time in our gardens, if we are privileged enough to have them, um, you know, actually I've just been enjoying... John Clare was a a poet who was a shepherd um, and so very, very intimate with the, the rhythm of the seasons and just stopping and noticing every little thing that's going on around you. He also was someone who had a, a great faith in God and, and struggled uh, with, with mental illness. And so actually um, looking at the light uh, of God and, and the comfort he brings us in the, the slow movements of the seasons um, 
with him as just uh, while I sit in my garden and just appreciate uh, the small blessings that I do not take for granted. Um, or I do not, I do, I am now learning to not take for granted, but I do, I totally take for granted all the blessings uh, that God ha has, has lavished upon me. Um, and that has just been a, a joy to do. Uh, a few months ago, a friend said to me a thing which I, I had never thought before, but it's really terrific. If you imagine that um, all the things you don't say thank you for and are not grateful for are taken away from you, you suddenly realise how much you have to be grateful for. And it, it's quite eye-opening. So that, that, that's my little top tip for the week. Great, thank you both so much. Um, just to let everyone know, uh, we have now announced... Um, I don't think this will be a surprise to anyone, the cancellation of the last um, Church Society Regional Conference that we had been uh, planning to hold in June. Uh, so uh, that has been cancelled. We, I say cancelled, we are still very much hoping uh, to be able to reschedule re regional conferences, maybe in the autumn, maybe sometime next year. The one that we were able to hold in Manchester was just a really terrific day um, and we were so pleased to see so many people there. So we do hope to be able to host those again at some point in the future uh, but for now we won't be having them uh, online we're not having them in person you can however uh, listen to Lee Gatiss's talk from the Manchester conference uh, that was recorded that's online it's on the Church Society website I'll put a link to it in the description here and I really would uh, encourage you uh, to listen to that it's really insightful and thought-provoking on uh, episcopacy and evangelical leadership some really challenging uh, stuff in there um, we also won't be hosting our AGM as anticipated in June we had been planning to hold it during the week of EMA EMA has gone online uh, we can't hold an AGM then we will have to have an AGM it's quite complicated church society is not just a charity it's a company there are rules about these things we will let you know as and when we know what's happening uh, with the AGM um, but uh, all of that information will be on the church society website um, thank you uh, so much for watching and listening to the podcast um, if you are enjoying these podcasts I just want to let you know that there is quite a substantial archive of what I like to call the old podcast so these are only available in audio we didn't record them uh, in video but they are all available on the Church Society website uh, I'll, if you're watching this on YouTube I'll make sure I put a link uh, there and uh, if you are one of these people who suddenly has time on your hands uh, or you're looking for something to motivate you while you're going for your uh, daily exercise uh, and want something to listen to then you might enjoy uh, checking out the archive of old podcasts there i'll be back again next week uh with some different guests talking about different things if you come across something in the week that you think i'd really like to hear them uh talk about that on the church society podcast then do drop me a line thanks so much <laughs>